Production support for Soundbites is made possible by listeners and by Coffee by Design, growing a business committed to community and sustainability locally and worldwide. Coffeebydesign.com. Welcome to Soundbites, true stories told by local Mainers and nationally recognized storytellers. The themes are always changing, and the hosts are from all over the nation, but when you hear the name Soundbites, you're in for a unique storytelling experience. Soundbites is brought to you by Frontier Studios and made possible by the generous contributions of Allagash Brewing Company, Frontier, The Press Hotel, Toad Co., and by the listeners of Maine Public Radio. This week's stories were told live at Frontier in Brunswick, where the event's dedicated theme was Green-Eyed Monster. Here's today's host, Brooklyn-based storyteller and director of Mothworks at the Moth, Kate Tellers. I'm ready, everybody. Let's keep it going for Cheryl Hamilton. So I'm sitting on my parents' couch in the living room, and I'm flipping through my mom's old high school yearbook. And as I turn the page, I am arrested by this full-page spread of like a hundred faces of women. And as I read the top, it says, Future Teachers and Nurses of America. We did not have a page like that in my high school yearbook. My mom became a teacher, and my aunt became a nurse. <laughs> But I kept thinking about how grateful I am that I haven't grown up in a time where my career has limits put on it. When I graduated from Edward Little, I was told I could do anything and go anywhere, and I think I have. I've lived around the world, I've worked in different professions, and my parents have never said that I shouldn't try something. But if I'm honest, there is one way that I am a little old-fashioned. And maybe it's because I was brought up on Cinderella or Snow White, but I have always wanted to find my prince and get married. (laughs) You see, not because I care really about wedding cakes or big puffy sleeve dresses, but it's because my parents brought me up to believe that life is meant to be shared, and I wanted to share it with somebody. I also wanted to get married because I do not want to have children. The idea of a baby in this area is insane to me. (laughs) But I didn't realize that when you opt out of motherhood, you also opt out of all these opportunities where you can naturally bring all the people you love together. There's no baby showers or christenings or graduation or grandchildren. And so that was hard because I love bringing people together. I mean, other than a memorial where they hopefully would come, When I looked at my future, all I could think is wedding. They probably would show up to a wedding. But also, I wanted to get married because although she would never say it, my mother was a little disappointed that she couldn't pass on her wisdom of how to raise children. But she had two sons, but it was made a special bond between us. So I told her, but mom, I'll have a wedding. We'll plan it together. It'll be really fun. We'll leave dad and the brothers out of it. And at least that made her smile. So as I grew up, I just had to do the simple thing of finding a husband, right? Because that's so easy. (laughs) Except I actually wasn't worried about it. My first boyfriend in eighth grade took me to the symphony for our first date. (laughs) Raised the bar a little too high. But also, my parents, they met on a blind date in Portland, and within three months they were married, and within a year they had their first son. My older brother, He met his wife in middle school, and they have just celebrated their 25th anniversary at the age of 44. And they have two kids. 
And don't get me started about my younger brother. My younger brother met this wonderful woman. He dated her for several years, got engaged on like Christmas in a field, and then, I know, and then calls off that wedding because he meets another woman during a labor organizing protest who he married and now he has two children. It should be easy. In 20 years, I have dated over 100 men. I know this because I counted. I stopped at 100. And if I'm honest, in those 20 years, the first quarter, you know, those are the people I wasn't even thinking about marriage, I was traveling, you know, just trying, dating out. And then, then like the next 25% are the people I had no intention of ever marrying, but they were like anthropology, I was trying them out. And then I actually started to worry. I, I was dating nice people, but they weren't right, 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 or I was dating the wrong people and was smart enough to not marry them. I was dating the people that my parents were afraid I was going to marry. I dated seven mats. That's a thing when you've dated a hundred men. And with each breakup, inevitably I'd be sitting across from my mother eating a pizza and she would look very confused. Her two other children's longest really dating was two people. I am like halfway to 200. And she's trying to be optimistic because so am I. We're both like, just keep going. You're going to find somebody. She really wanted me to marry Tom. She wanted me to marry Tom because he came from an Irish Catholic family. He liked the Red Sox, which she likes to score. But also I think it was that we looked alike. We all both have like red faces and little dimples. And Tom really kissed up to her. Tom became a priest. <laughs> I know, right? And the thing is, it wasn't just that I wasn't able to find love, and I could go on and on about that, right? The pain, the heartache, the hope. But it was also that that wedding, it just kept moving further and further back after my brother's children's baby showers and their first grade at school. And I was like, this wedding is never going to happen. And I couldn't imagine my friends coming together but then at 38, something kind of awesome happened. I met Chris. Chris is this handsome, kind, quiet soul, and the minute I met him, I knew I loved him because I couldn't stop talking, and not just because I'm a storyteller. <laughs> I was so nervous that I was like talking straight at him, and his version of the story was that he thought I was interesting but couldn't even get in to tell me that. <laughs> but he stuck with me. And then when I turned 40, I asked that question you're not ever supposed to ask. Where is this relationship going? And he looks at me really casually, and he said, oh, I can see us together forever. And it was like Snow White with those little doves that start rising and they start chirping, and my heart is exploding. And I was like, yes, <laughs> me too. And he goes, but there's one thing. I never want to marry you. Okay, nowhere in that prince vision fairy tale that I've written for the last 40 years of my life did I imagine meeting the prince and having him tell me I never ever want to marry you. And the reason is, is because he had already been married. He'd been there, done that. And he had learned that marriage is not, it, it, you don't need the contract. You don't need to stand in front of people. It's about love and commitment. But as I said to him, when you've been dating a few people, over 20 years, 
standing in front of people and saying that you're the one I'm going to try to commit to is something. And standing with my parents and my brothers and actually creating a family, not being one foot outside of a family, maybe a part of a family, not having children, having a partner, I needed that. But we didn't come to an agreement. And now I'm sitting across my mother in a pizza parlor and I am crying. And I'm saying, I don't know if I can do this. Not just go date someone else and try it again, but I don't know if I can do this with him. She says, well, maybe you can have a party. And it's true, like, okay, we can have a party. So I, I say to Chris, could we just like, fine, no paperwork, but could we bring all the people we love together and dance and eat a lot of food? And he is not excited about this. Not because he doesn't understand, he's just an introvert. He doesn't need it. And I said, well, I need it. You have a son, you had the first wedding, I'd like mine. Except we'll call it something else. We're calling it our celebration of love. <laughs> it's stupid. <laughs> we have not told anybody that, but that's what we're calling it at home. Until one day I'm sitting on the couch and Chris turns to me while we're planning our venue or looking at them and he says, hey Cheryl, will you marry me? I looked at him and then I said the most unromantic response to any proposal in history. Chris, don't f with me. <laughs> he looked as shocked as I was when he asked me and he goes, um, I'm not f***ing with you. And then I cry, and he says, all this planning has made me realize that, you know, I do. I want to marry you. I was just afraid because my first marriage didn't work out. So now, we agree that we're going to drive to Maine and tell my parents in person to get that, like, reaction. Um, but I lie to him because within six hours, I'm in my car calling my mom, like, screaming. <laughs> She's crying, she's excited. She liked Chris also from the beginning. She's moved on from Tom. <laughs> and now, folks, I am planning a wedding like the world is ending, right? Within a month, I have rented every hotel room on the island of Vinyl Haven. I have hired a wedding coordinator. We are going to have a lobster bake, of course. And we have found out that you have to import the uh, porta potties, which is going to be a lot of money, but I feel like it's worth it. Yeah, good times. <laughs> but mostly I'm sending texts to my mom, pictures of the, the dress I might buy or the food I'm thinking about and talking about how happy I am. And she's writing me back to say how happy she is. Two months later, my mother, while going to my cousin's rehearsal dinner for her, his wedding, tripped down a staircase, fell, and didn't survive. Nobody prepares you for the indescribable grief of losing your mother. At the hospital that night, all I kept saying is, how is this happening? How is this happening right now? I guess, like that fairy tale with Chris not wanting to marry me originally, I was naive. I never, ever imagined a picture where my mother wouldn't be handing me something blue in my bedroom or sitting in the front row of the ceremony holding a napkin crying or most importantly stopping me at the end of the day while people are dancing and just saying, I'm so happy. I'm so happy you finally found Chris. It was worth the wait. In the days that followed, I'm starting to tell everybody, I don't want a wedding. 
I don't care if I get married, f all of it. I don't care, it is not worth it anymore. But suddenly my family is like gung-ho about this wedding, right? My nieces at the hospital even were picking out the bridal dress, bridesmaid dresses they were going to wear. My brother Brian says he's got this amazing toast prepared. Even Chris, Chris is like, no, 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 you got this. It's just grief. We're going to get married. It's going to be amazing. And I get it. My family needs this wedding. We need something, a little bit of joy amongst all of this pain. But if I'm honest, I don't know if I need this wedding anymore. Because you see, that last night, when we were in our hospital room, and everybody was standing around her bed, and I was sitting at the end on a chair, and Chris was rubbing my back, there was a moment that I looked back behind me, and Chris was crying just as hard as everybody else in that room. And in that moment, I realized he was right. Chris is already my husband. We are already married. And although it is not at all how I ever imagined, my mom was there. Thank you. I will add a PS that's not in the story, because I'm kind of excited. I am getting married in two weeks. Uh, Cheryl, um, so a native of Auburn, Cheryl Hamilton has devoted her career to advancing refugee protection, immigrant integration, and storytelling. Uh, last year, Cheryl turned her attention and career full-time to storytelling and has been having a great time. She directs Mass Mouth, a Boston-based nonprofit that promotes time the timeless art of storytelling. In her role, Cheryl is responsible for curating the national television show Stories from the Stage in partnership with WGBH and World Channel. She is also the creator and director of the popular Suitcase Stories series, a program that honors refugees and immigrants. Cheryl loves returning to Frontier, her favorite venue, and telling stories from Maine, her favorite go-to for material. If you want to know more about today's storyteller, well, you're in luck. Let's join our host backstage, now in conversation with today's teller. Excellent. All right, we're going to get started with some questions. First question, what is your connection to Maine? Sure. I was born in Auburn. I grew up here and then later returned to work. Perfect. Lovely. Uh, next question, what got you into storytelling? I actually saw an ad for a class that said, do you have a story to tell? And my friend made me take it. <laughs> <laughs> How do you prepare for being on stage? What's your process? I sit in my car late at night and I talk to the windows. <laughs> uh, tell us some nugget or detail that is connected to your story but that won't be in it, that didn't make the final cut. So what people won't know is that in two weeks from now I'm actually going to get married and have the wedding that I was dreaming of. Soundbites is brought to you by Frontier Studios and made possible by the generous contributions of Allagash Brewing Company, Frontier, The Press Hotel, Toad & Co., and by the listeners of Maine Public Radio. Special thanks also to GWI and Downey's Pension Services. More information about Soundbites, including how to attend a live storytelling event, can be found online at soundbitesme.org. And of course, you can always hear more stories at mainepublic.org. Thanks for listening.